So this couple invites their um, pastor over for dinner. Um, well, sort of. He, he kind of kind of invited himself over one day after Mass. And, uh, you know, they just kind of felt like they had, they said, sure, yeah, you'll have to come over some night and uh, we'll call you with a date. In all honesty, they were kind of dreading it uh, because this guy was kind of a grump. They didn't really even like this pastor that much. Um, he was kind of pushy and... Um, but, you know, what were they going to do? He sort of invited himself, so they're kind of been putting it off. And finally, you know, the wife says to the husband, listen, we got to do this. Like, let's just, let's get a date and have him over and we'll get it over with. Um, so they do. And uh, he comes over and uh, he's sitting in the living room. Uh, they have a seven-year-old son, so he's hanging out with him in the living room. The husband and wife go into the kitchen to kind of final, finish up preparing the meal. So they're just sitting there, the priest and, and the kid, and then the, the priest says to, this, to the kid, um, so what's for dinner? And the, priest, uh, the kid says, uh, we're having goat. And the pastor's like, goat? We're having goat? No, are you sure goat? And the kid says, yeah, yeah, we're, ha we're having goat for dinner. And he says, yeah, this morning, um, I heard mom say to dad, Today's as good as any. Let's just have the old goat over for dinner. <laughs> Kids could be kind of dangerous, right? Um, sometimes they're just really honest and very literal and maybe too transparent. Um, couple of times, more than a few times, Jesus singles out kids as being examples and models of, of how we should live our spiritual lives. Um, and I'll bet it's this more than anything. It's that kids are, kids just know that they can't do it alone. Um, they're, especially when they're little, they're like, very dependent on others and they don't hide it like with no apology they're super dependent like I need you mom dad I, help me with this I can't do that and on some level is that what Jesus is asking of us not to be you know childish but to never lose some part of that dependency thing and it almost goes against the grain, because like, the older we get, the more we encourage people to be independent. And I get it. But maybe in this particular aspect, it's like, no, no, on the, on the spiritual end, always be dependent. I think he's saying this, Jesus. Don't ever think, despite your success, despite your achievements, that it's because of you. We're not the author of our success. God is. Ultimately, God is. Sometimes very directly, sometimes a little bit more distantly, but God is always the source of our success. 
And I think maybe he's just saying, don't forget that, because we do. I got this book. Um, it's pretty interesting. It's written by this um, retired uh, Navy admiral and Navy SEAL. I've actually mentioned it before up here. It's a, it's a pretty good book. It's, uh, it's called The Hero Code. The Hero Code, Lessons Learned from Lives Well Lived. And he just profiles these people that he's encountered in the course of his career who are very heroic. And he just, he lays out these uh, virtues that um, produce heroes, at least according to him. So there's a chapter on courage, there's one on sacrifice, you know, which you'd expect. There's other ones too, like a chapter on compassion and hope and forgiveness and duty. It's a good book. It's, uh, it's like it'd be a good book to give a, a graduate to, graduating eighth grader or high schooler, college kid. Anyway, there's a chapter in this book on humility. It's pretty good. He um, tells this story about... Um, this experience he had, this admiral, he's at a dinner and he meets this particular guest for the first time and he kind of never forgets this experience. Um, listen to this. The dining room was small and intimate with beautiful hardwood floors and French doors that led down a wide carpeted stairway to the foyer. My host for this private dinner was Dr. Kenneth Cooper, the famed cardiologist. Dr. Cooper had invited me to speak later that evening at his institute in Dallas. He and his wife sat across from me. To my right were Roger Staubach, the great uh, Hall of Fame quarterback from the 1970s, and his wife. And he said that uh, after the Admiral retired, they had become friends, him and Staubach. Another very nice couple was seated next to the Coopers, and to my left were an older gentleman and his wife. And this is the guy that he meets. Had never met him before, and, you know, kind of describes, you ever been in a situation like that where you, you're seated next to somebody, and just the way the setup is, like, they're really almost the only people you can talk to. Nobody else is really near, and you kind of hope, and sometimes at a wedding you get that. You're at a table, and you don't really know the other guests, and you're just hoping you kind of can connect terms of conversation. So anyway, they start talking a bit, and this guest says that he was uh, in the Air Force, and this is the Air Force, he says, well, now we had a connection. And this admiral says, uh, my father was in the Air Force, he was a fighter pilot, and my son is currently in the Air Force. So this guest said, uh, oh, I loved, my, I loved my time in the service. What did you do in the Air Force, said the admiral. He said, I was a pilot. What did you fly? Oh, uh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. A man of many talents, huh? And he said, um, or a guy who just couldn't keep a job. And he kind of chuckled. And then the Admiral says this, um, I smiled at his comment, but now I was a bit hesitant to continue the discussion. Pilots can often be sensitive about where they are in the aviator pecking order. And if he wasn't at the top of the heap, the conversation might get awkward. So I let it go. Over the course of the evening, 
I extracted a bit more information from my new acquaintance, but in general, he seemed very reluctant to talk about, talk about himself. His name was Charlie. He was much more interested in me and my family. He wanted to know about my son in the Air Force and my other two children. By the time dessert arrived, I felt like we were good friends. However, in, the hour of our, in our hour of dining, I still hadn't caught his full name, his last name. As we broke from the dinner table, I, I rose and thanked Charlie and his wife for a wonderful evening. And then he says he's now walking down the hallway, getting ready to, I guess, give this talk. And Roger Starback meets him. As we walked down the hallway, Roger Starbeck, Starbeck pulled up alongside me. He said, it sounds like you and Charlie were having a great conversation. Yeah, what a wonderful guy, I said. Can you imagine what it must have been like, Starbeck said. What do you mean? I mean walking on the moon. Thinking, think of it. Only 12 men in the history of the world have done that. What are you talking about, I asked. Charlie, Charlie Duke. What about Charlie Duke? You didn't know? Know what? That was Charlie Duke, the astronaut. I dropped my head in embarrassment. Of course, General Charles Duke, United States Air Force, the 10th man and still the youngest ever to set foot on the surface of the moon. I turned to Roger and I said, you know, during our entire conversation, never once did he mention the small, trivial, insignificant fact that he walked on the moon. As I found out later, though, Charlie Duke's humility was hard won. After the moon landing, he was, became a bit of a national hero, and the allure of fame and fortune put a great deal of stress on his marriage and his family. All that changed when he encountered Christ. Their Christian faith taught them humility and helped them recognize that in the vastness of the universe, in the epic story of human evolution, our greatest individual accomplishments, even walking on the moon, pale in comparison to God's works. The power of humility is that it brings us closer together. And the role of every hero is to unite people, not divide them. So be humble. It will serve you well. So Jesus says to the 12, what were you guys talking about when we were walking on the road? And he knows. He knew what they were talking about, but he asks them, they were talking about being number one, wanting to be known, wanting to be exalted and recognized. And his response, he brings this kid over and he says, look at this kid. If you want to be number one, then you need to be the last. You need to be the servant of all if you want to be number one. You know, Jesus talked about humility all the time, like all the time. It's crazy how I, so often I think we get religion and faith wrong. 
you're out at a party, you're talking to people in some kind of social context and somehow religion comes up, something about the church comes up. Maybe they find out that you go to church and inevitably, well, almost immediately, you, you, the person goes to the, the hot but button issues. That for them is faith. That for them is, you know, is religion. And I'm not saying those things are irrelevant. I'm not saying they're not part of the mix. But they're probably not the first thing. Because they weren't the first thing that Jesus talked about. He talked about humility way more than he did the, the hot button topics. So did the saints. Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, I think that's how you say it. He was this, uh, lived in the 12th century. He was kind of like this genius of faith, this giant of spirituality in the 12th century. And he was asked once, what are the three most important elements of the spiritual life? And he said, oh, that's easy. It's humility, humility, and humility. St. Paul, he asked this, listen to this question, how important this is. He said, what do you have that you haven't received? What have you got that really wasn't given to you somehow by someone in some way? Like everything we've got came from somewhere else and somewhere else. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Jesus says constantly. I think that's humility. And if we don't pursue that, then we're never gonna be really spiritual people. We're never really gonna get it. Or maybe you're like, well, you know, okay, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but you know, I did really well in school. I mean, do you know what my GPA was? Do you know the number of colleges that wanted me? Do you know how many semesters I was on the, on the honor roll? I'm not talking about me here. This is not me at all. <laughs> but that person, and it's like, they're like, well, I did that. I got those grades. I earned that. Yeah, sort of. Didn't somebody push you? Didn't somebody in your life challenge you? Didn't somebody in your life say, hey, this is important. You gotta work. Maybe a teacher. And maybe you're like, you know, not really. Not really, I kinda did it myself. Okay, then you got it directly from God because he gave you a good brain and a good heart which possessed a good work ethic. So, nah, you kinda, you earned it, but not so much. Well, I won that game Saturday. I drove home that winning run. I picked off that pass. Jesus didn't pick off the pass. Jesus wasn't playing on the, on the field. I scored that winning goal. God didn't. Yeah, yes, but no. 
gave you the speed? Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the smarts to be successful? Well, I got the, I guess I got good genes from my parents. Where'd they get them? You don't, you don't buy them at the mall. Where do good genes come from? Like, they come from God. Brian Wilson, he's one of the, uh, the Beach Boys, one of the, the original Beach Boys, the group. Found he really is like the heart of them. He wrote really all of their songs. He's considered kind of a, kind of a musical genius. He said this about music. I believe that music is God's voice. Music is God's voice. In other words, it's not really about me. Yeah, I mean, I wrote, I wrote the song. But where did the ability to write that song come from? Where did the ability to create something out of nothing come from? What do you have that you haven't been given? <laughs> it's this Paul, it's this question from Paul. And it's so easy to forget. I mean, maybe it's like one of these original sin scars. We just begin, the temptation to just begin to believe that, no, I, it really is me. I really am the center of the universe. All right, I would never quite say that, but it really is me. I'm the one who succeeded. And we stop remembering the source of it. I mentioned uh, Roger Staubach. Uh, remember... Don Shula, he was the uh, same era in the 70s, the great Miami Dolphins football coach. He's actually the winningest ever. He's won more games than anybody, any coach in the NFL, more than Belichick. I didn't, I just presumed he had, he had won more than anybody, but he didn't. Don Shula's got about 25 more wins than Belichick. 1972, the Dolphins won the Super Bowl. In fact, that was the year they went undefeated. A couple of months later, he's on vacation, Shula with his wife, and they're up in uh, Maine, in this little coast town, and they decide to go to a movie one night, a little small theater in this little town. So he, uh, they walk in, and there's a couple of people in the theater, and as soon as the two of them walk in, everybody turns, looks at them, and they stand up, and they start to applaud, they start to clap. And he's overwhelmed by this. He can't believe it. So flattered and humbled. He begins to kind of give this little speech. So nice of you. And I'm amazed that you, were, you recognized me up here. And then there's this brief pause. And this guy says, hey, buddy, we don't know who you are. They just wouldn't start the movie until 10 people arrived. You two just put us on top. Well, he told that story. Don Shula was also a daily communicant. He used to go to Mass every day. And it wasn't just something he did before he became successful. It was something he did throughout his life. Like pretty much every day he was here. And he received the Eucharist. And he heard God's word. And I wonder, was it 
maybe at least partly for this reason, because he knew, man, it's easy to forget. It's easy to begin to believe the press, that you are the best. And I mean, kind of objectively, he was, he is. But it's easy to lose sight of the author of the success, the source of it. And maybe that's why he just stayed so close to Jesus his whole life, because he just didn't want to lose sight of that. Doesn't mean that success is unimportant. It's incredibly important. Just give due credit. When we forget that, I think we become fools. And I'm not saying uh, do this false humility thing. Like, Don Shula was objectively awesome. So was Brian Wilson. So was that astronaut. So was the kid who got the, the, the 4.0 GPA. Don't deny success. Don't say, no, I didn't, I'm not that good when you are. That's not honest. That's not true. That is false. Acknowledge the gifts and shoot for the moon. Just remember who got you there.